morning, everyone. It's great to be back. I've been traveling overseas with Greater Europe Mission, where I am a uh, I serve as a board member, and I, I I've come back really full because it's so exciting for me to see up close and personal how God is using our wonderful Wheaton Bible Church missionaries who are with Greater Europe Mission in some very difficult places in different countries in Europe. Do you know that Europe is the least reached continent of the world in terms of the percentage of Christians in the total population? Also, uh, we had the opportunity to, to be with some uh, denominational leaders in Europe uh, to hear some of the wonderful stories of what God's doing. And I want you to know, there are some spiritual fires that are starting to burn in Europe. Now, they're small, but that we haven't seen in a couple of decades. Pray for the continent of Europe. It's like the third greatest population of all the continents, and it's the least reached. Now, Thanksgiving is upon us, right? And so all you women are feeling a little stressed and all you men can't wait to eat. And I, I, I get that. That's exactly what's going on in our house. But next Sunday, following Thanksgiving, we begin our Advent season here at Wheaton Bible Church. Can you believe? We have all sorts of wonderful things going on. And one of the things I want to mention is a week from this Thursday, a week after Thanksgiving, we have our night before Christmas ladies' event. Our guest speaker is Susie Lawson. Uh, you are in for a wonderful, wonderful night. One of the things I desire for all of you men and women is that you would walk with your friends in the warmth of your union and communion with Jesus. That it would be palpable, palatable, or Palpable, I want to say. It's a good thing I don't speak for a living. <laughs> it's a good thing I don't have any of my kids in this service. They would rip me. Um, I want you to know that warmth. I want you to feel Jesus in your life with others. And you women, night before Christmas is a wonderful way to step into that. It's a, a wonderful way to be rekindled in your union with our Savior King. Now, having said that, Charity, come on up here. Tonight, or today we conclude this series on marriage and singleness, and I want you to meet Charity Lane. Charity is a delightful young single here at Wheaton Bible Church. You've only been a, here in the church for a year, but she's already actively involved in a lot of our different ministries, including our young adult singles ministry. And Charity and I have gotten to know each other through this really cool faith and work intensive that I'm teaching, along with a couple others, aimed at young adults, married or, or female. And Charity's been a part of this, and we've been together every Wednesday night for the last couple of months. So, Dr. Lane... I've got a couple of questions for you that I want you to unpack before uh, this family here at Wheaton Bible Church. And let's start with this one. You're single. What does living out of the fullness of the gospel look like for you as a single? Talk to us about that. Yeah. Um, so for me, I think 
living out of the fullness of the gospel, recognizing who Christ is and what he wants as far as an intimate relationship with me has been what has really given me grace and strength in my singleness. Um, that he draws us into an intimate relationship. Ultimately, yeah. our Amen. desire for intimacy is met in him. Um, so really just finding ways that he draws me in multiple ways, whether it's creation or other people, or um, that we can see him drawing us into that intimate relationship with him. And I think as a single, there's a powerful ability to to notice that even more as Paul talks about, um, you know, being undivided in a heart for God. So that's kind of been my ambition to keep that. And, you know, sexuality is not something that like turns on and off with marital status. Um, so it's something that um, knowing how to like steward that in my relationship with God, um, Proverbs 31:12 really stands out and has impacted me recognizing that uh, it says she, she brings him good, not harm all the days of her life. And it's talking about the wife of noble character can apply to men as well, but that every day of our lives we can bring our future spouse good and not harm, and ultimately that's Christ. So that's really been my ambition. Wow. Wow. I love what you did with that verse. Now, Charity, you're a psychologist, so what would you say to singles and married couples here uh, today about singles in the church? Um, I think it's really important to, um, whether we're married, single, whatever our marital status is, to honor marriage. Scripture talks very highly about marriage, um, but also singleness and sexuality, realizing that they're all images of Christ's love with us, our relationship with him. Um, singleness is really an image of the longing and the anticipation we have for that one day complete union with him um, and can give a certain picture of that um, in a healthy single life. <laughs> Um, so I think that it's really important as singles and marrieds, regardless of where you're at, to be pressing into relationship with God above all and then with other people. That ultimately our desire for, um, you know, being created as sexual beings, our desire is for intimacy. And God created that to be answered in him, but also he takes great delight in our relationship with others and being able to press into relationship with other singles, other marrieds, other people in our lives. You are an awesome young lady. So thank you. Would you join me in thanking Charity? Thanks a lot. Actually, one of the things I love about this church is, is the quality and the vibrancy of so many marriages here at Wheaton Bible Church that I've seen over the decades. It's just so rich. And the quality and the vi spiritual vibrancy of so many singles that are here, it's a beautiful thing. And I want to say to all of you in your darker moments, never ever forget that you shine like stars in the heavens. And that God is using your joy and, and your peace, your contentment in Him, whether you're married or, or, or single, to demonstrate the reality of the gospel. And so I want to say this morning, thank you. Thank you for your deep love for our Savior and the way it gets expressed in your life. Now let's go to this final uh, message on marriage and singleness. What I want to do is root what we are going to talk about today in one passage. So grab your Bibles, turn on your Bibles, and let's go to the New Testament to Paul's uh, letter we call the Ephesians. This letter 
that was addressed to the church or churches in Ephesus. And turn to Ephesians chapter 4. If you want to grab a Bible in the rack in front of you, and we hope if you don't have a Bible with you, you will. It's page 1175. It's Ephesians chapter 4. Now what we're going to do is we're going to look at two verses. And what I want to look at is how these verses speak to accelerating our marital growth curve. How we can be better in our marriages, or if we're single, how they can, uh, these verses speak to us about accelerating our relational growth curve. So let's pick it up in verse 15. Verses 15 and 16, Ephesians chapter 4. Paul says, instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every living or by every supporting ligament, rather, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Now, I want you to notice that verse 15 is the human side speaking the truth in love. Verse 16 is the divine side. Notice how it begins, from him, from God. Now, yes, Paul doesn't mention I get this, marriage and singleness specifically, but instead he's talking about all relationships in the entire body of Christ, and therefore what he says is key to our marriages, key to our lives as singles. So what I want to do to unpack this is I want to talk about three fundamentals, or you could say three ingredients. Tim Keller talks about three uh, powers that will help us accelerate our marital and relational growth curves. And they are truth, love, and grace. So let's start with the role of truth, or the uh, fundamental of truth, or uh, perhaps better, the power of truth. Look at verse 15. Notice how Paul begins. He begins by saying, speaking the truth. Now I want you to understand, in the first century Greek which is the original language behind our English translations, there's not two words here. Speaking truth, there's just one word, and it's a verb. It's truthing. Truthing. Truth, I-N-G. And so Paul is not merely talking about our words. He's talking about our life. What you're like, what you're like on Friday night, what you're like on Monday morning, uh, Tuesday afternoon. Now, obviously, that gets revealed, especially in terms of what comes out of our mouth. But Paul is talking about something broader. He's talking about truthing. And I, I cannot rush past this. Forgive me for this. But I just can't leave this without um, commenting that if we're going to appreciate what's going on here, we have to understand this is an increasingly foreign concept today in our Western world. Because after a hundred years of post-enlightenment, we have arrived in the, the West more recently over our decades where secularism is now the new and dominant religion in the West. What is secularism? Well, secularism is the denial of any ultimate authority. It's the denial of any authority outside self. So that means that happiness, peace,
peace and, and truth don't come from above. They come from within. So God's truth has been replaced with my truth. And don't you ever tell me what's true. That's secularism. And by the way, let me just say parenthetically, and some of you may not like this, but I think it needs to be said, this is why we will not see sustainable truth in the media, in politics, in education, in business. Because there is no longer ultimate truth that governs or is foundational to our life. But here, 2,000 years ago, Paul begins with the word truthing. And Paul is saying that truth is foundational to marriage, singleness, the church. Actually, what Paul is doing is laying a moral, sociological, cultural foundation for life, for marriage, for singleness. And he is telling us it's impossible without truth. Truthing. Speaking the truth. Uh, so, for example, let's take marriage. A, a, a husband can't say or think, you know, I love my wife, but she doesn't need to know how often I sleep around. That's my thing. That's not going to work. Uh, the absence of truth isn't going to work in, in our lives as singles. It's not going to work in our culture. And, and it's going to cave in, ultimately upon itself because there's no longer any divine truth it's only my truth Paul is saying do not let that happen it's essential to the body of Christ it's how the church is different how the church is alike now I want to take this a step further because we've got this word truthing I want you to understand that the Apostle Paul is not merely talking about speaking the truth. He's talking about receiving the truth. Your ability to receive the truth. The one demands the other. So when we come to this and we see speaking the truth, we think, okay, I got to be gentle. I got to do this. I got to do that. But it assumes in the body of Christ, if there are people speaking truth, then there are people receiving truth. It's critical in marriage. It's critical in life. In other words, let me say it this way. God doesn't merely want you to confront your spouse God wants to use your spouse to confront you. Can you receive truth? One of the main ways God will embed truth in your life is through your friends, through your spouse. That's the point here in verse 15. And if you can't receive it, you cannot, you will not grow. And you will hurt no one more than you hurt yourself. Truthing, truthing, truthing. Now, let me tell you a painful story. Because it illustrates what a moron I can be. A couple years after Rhonda and I were married, so this is um, maybe five years ago or, or so, um, 
I was cooking outside on our grill one night. Now, I love things undercooked. Rhonda's just the opposite. She loves her sushi cooked. And since I'm not the physician in our marriage, and Rhonda is the physician, I didn't really understand the danger of significantly undercooked, say, hamburger chicken. I didn't understand the bacteria that can attack the body, the food poisoning, this thing called Campylobacter. Now, Rhonda, in her gentleness, spent a couple of years trying to explain this to me. And I, I, honestly, we had all sorts of arguments about grilling because I am the master of the grill in our home. And Rhonda's just a physician. What does she know? <laughs> and we would go back and forth, and I wouldn't listen. So on this night when I was cooking chicken, I undercooked it as usual. I brought it in. I, I hate to say this, but I refused to put it back on the grill. I just said no. Yeah, that's right. It's just awful. <laughs> After the last service, a couple elders asked me to resign. <laughs> and so um, I ate all my chicken to prove a point. You know, the master syndrome. And Rhonda and Christine just nibbled around the edges. And then when the beast left the room, they raced to the microwave. Now, you know where this is going, right? About two in the morning, I woke up and I thought I was about to die. I was in utter agony. And Rhonda rolled over and tried to go back to sleep, hoping I would just lock myself in the bathroom for 24 hours, she knew what was going on. She's a physician. <laughs> but I was in such bad shape, I wasn't about to let that happen. And I was starting to walk around the house moaning. Christine woke up, she came in and said, Mom, we gotta take, we gotta take this guy, he's so pathetic, but we gotta take him to the emergency room. They took me to the emergency room, the very hospital Rhonda works at as a physician. And I spent the whole night in the mid-morning in just total distress. Now, Rhonda had to go to work early that morning to see patients that would listen. <laughs> and so I eventually got released, and I was sitting out in the lobby, and I was waiting for my ride. But let me stop there for a minute. I don't know what your grill is. I don't know what area in your life you think you've got control of and you're not open to receiving truth. Maybe it's work. Maybe it's your words. Maybe it's your anger. Maybe it's alcohol. Maybe it's pornography. Uh, how you relate to the kids, how you, you know, whatever, uh, what you're doing on your weekends. But man, you're just like me. I'm the master of my grill. It doesn't matter that you're a physician. I got this. I spent two years not listening to a word my wife said. 
And then I got sick. And I learned an important lesson that God had ordained my wife to speak to me about things I didn't understand. Can you receive truth? Can you listen? Men, can you listen to your wives? Wives, can you listen to your husbands? Uh, you singles, do you have friends that you allow to speak truth in your life? Can you listen? Now let me go back to the lobby of the hospital. I felt awful. I looked awful. And so I just kind of sat there, hunkered down, and there was this woman across from me who started asking me questions. And I responded to a couple. And then she said, well, you know, you sound like the pastor of my church. (laughs) And she added, but you don't look like him. (laughs) And so, uh, you know, it's like, oh, I just, all I want to do is go home. And I said, well, what church? And she said, well, Wheaton Bible Church. And I said, well, that would be me. And she said, no, it's not. (laughs) I'm not making any of this up. So there's another leg of this. You know, if, if we can't receive truth, over time we become a shadow of ourselves. And in particular situations, we become flat, unrecognizable. Man, God loves you. God wants to truthing into your life. He wants to use other people. He wants to do you, use your husband, your wife, your closest friends. He wants to use the, the church. He wants to change you. He wants to produce glory in your life through truth. Can you receive it? Can you, I mean, can you really listen Can you take it, or are you, like me, just way too arrogant? Because I'm the master of this, I got this. Man, God wants to hammer, God wants to chisel on you, God wants to change you from the inside out, God wants you to get rid of this, get rid of that, and he has ordained people to speak the truth. Can you receive the truth? It's called truthing, it's Ephesians 4, 15. Now let's, let's go on. Let's go to the, from the power of truth in our marriages, in our singleness, to the power or the fundamental of love. Look at verse 15. Paul says, speaking the truth, then he says, it's just two words, in love. In love. Now this is agape love. It's the Greek word agape. Agape love here is, or is self-sacrificing, caring, redeeming love. At the heart of agape love is unconditional commitment, unconditional uh, service. And you know what really, let me give you a definition of agape love. You know, what is agape love? Well, it's you disadvantaging yourself to the advantage of another. Man, get that. 
okay, God, I'm going to take the hit here. I don't like this. I'm feeling this. I'm going to shove those feelings back down. I'm going to disadvantage myself to advantage Rhonda, Bill. It's love. It's love. It's Jesus in Mark 10, 14, for the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for the many. Love is disadvantaging yourself to the advantage of another. I mean, that's biblical, robust love, not the feeble stuff that goes under the name of love today. Now, why is love so important in relationships? Well, it's so important because we all come into relationships. We come into marriage with scars, with wounds, with insecurities, with blind spots. I mean, our history is that parents and teachers and siblings and other people in our lives, sometimes friends, uh, sometimes people that we don't get along with at all, have all passed judgment on us at one point or another. And sometimes the judgment they pass goes like this, well, you're good, but sometimes it's, man, you're bad. Uh, Sometimes it's, well, you're promising. Sometimes it's, you're hopeless. So we move into adulthood, and we have this history of judgment that's been passed on us, and it's inside of us, and like cavities in your teeth, those holes never go away. They're there. But when you, let's say, marry, when you marry, the love of your spouse begins to fill that hole. It begins to bring healing. It's God's appointed means to overcome those voices from the past, to reorient, to reprogram your your self-image. So, for example, if you have heard people say to you in the past, and that voice was really large in your life, man, you're ugly, or you're a, uh, you're a failure, and if your spouse or your good friend says, man, you're beautiful, you're beautiful, you're beautiful, I can't believe how beautiful you are, or uh, you have all the potential in the world, over time, you're going to start to think, I'm beautiful. I, I, I can do this. And you walk in a newness of life. And so sometimes uh, what your spouse or your friend is doing is speaking to you about Jesus' love. Other times they're just incarnating it, living it before you. Man, I love you. Uh, Tim had a long history of struggling with jobs, with work. As a matter of fact, uh, during a uh, six-year period, he had five different jobs. Uh, Tim was deeply insecure. And that manifested itself, insecurity manifests itself in different ways in all of our lives. But in Tim's life, it manifests itself because he was deeply angry and defensive. He really couldn't listen. Proverbs 27 verse 6 says, faithful, faithful, faithful are the wounds of a friend. That verse was totally, that concept was totally lost on Tim. 
And Tim knew about God's grace, but I got to tell you, it never captured his heart. And there's a big, there's a world of difference. It didn't capture his heart. However, the one thing Tim had going for him was Tanya, his wife. Tanya loved for Tim. Tanya stuck with Tim. Tanya affirmed Tim. Tanya forgave Tim. Tanya had hope for Tim, and she would not let him go. But one Christmas season, about a week before Christmas, Tim hit the bottom, and nobody was home, and he sat in his chair with his loaded shotgun on his knees, and he was planning to kill himself. And he was going back and forth. And then his cell rang, and he saw it was Tanya, and he, well, do I answer it, or do I kill myself? Do I talk to my wife, or do I die? And he picked up the phone. And, and Tanya said, hey, hey, buddy, I know it's been a, a, a rough go, but I just got Mexican food. I'll be home in 10 minutes, and let's sit in front of the fire and eat. And she clicked off. And Tim broke down and sobbed. Cried like a baby. And the love of God finally broke through. Through in the love of his wife. And what was a horrific moment became a moment of enormous eternal glory. And Tanya was the instrument of that glory. And Tim repented and begged forgiveness, and Tim became a changed man. Augustine, in his confessions, describes God with a phrase that I just love. He describes God as my slow-footed joy. In other words, God, I'm praying and you're not, you're not answering. God, you know, this has been a couple of years. God, I, I'm praying and you're not answering. And then suddenly God shows up like he did in Tim's life. God is a sl our slow-footed joy. And we experience his love through the love of others. So I want to ask you again. Do you disadvantage yourself to advantage another? Do you? Do you live that way? Is that the nature of your relationships? Is that, is that the essence of your marriage? Okay, I would prefer X, but let's do Y. Now let me bring these two concepts together. These two concepts on the front end of verse 15. Look at how John Stott says it. Uh, Dr. Stott says, truth becomes hard if it's not softened but, uh, by love, but love, well, love becomes soft if it's not strengthened by truth. And the beauty of what we have just read on the front end of this verse is that the Bible calls us to hold these together. It's the essence 
of accelerating your growth curve in life. I mean, you tell me what's more important from a human perspective. So the Bible calls us to commingle these just as they were perfectly commingled in Jesus Christ who was full of grace and truth. Look at John 1.14. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. That's a reference to Jesus. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father. Here it is, full of grace and truth. John tells us that about Jesus twice in the first chapter. full of grace and truth. Paul in Ephesians chapter 4 is saying, see Jesus. And if you know him, if you know him, follow his lead. Now in all seriousness, I want to say to you this morning, if you don't have a deep fundamental commitment to truth, to speaking truth and receiving truth, and if, if you aren't a person that extends self, self-sacrificial love, then you should question whether or not you're a Christian. And whether the gospel has really taken root in your life. Jesus is the fountain. Prayer is the bucket And truth and love are the divinely appointed delivery systems. And Paul in Ephesians 4.15 brings them together and says, live this way. Live this way. Now, I want to be honest because I want to get to the gospel. The reality is we can't live like this. I mean, think about me and my grill. I can't live like this. You can't live like this. So where does this power to flesh out these two powers, the power of truth, power and love, come from? Well, that brings us to the first two words of verse 16. Paul says, from him, from him, from God. What from God? The grace, the power to speak truth, the power to extend love. Let's skip down to verses 31 and 32. Look at these. Paul says in verse 31, Get rid, get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice, every form of hate, every form of racism. Verse 32, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. And don't miss what's going on here in this context of relationships in the body of Christ. Paul is saying the only way we will hold truth and love together, verse 15, is by repentance and forgiveness. A life of ongoing repentance, a life of uh, continuing to extend forgiveness. And you say, where does that come from? Well, look at verse 31. When Paul says, get rid of, he's talking about repent. Repentance is turning around. It's getting rid of. It's getting rid of your anger. It's getting rid of your uh, hate. 
Paul is saying in verse 31, repent. And then in verse 32, he's saying, forgive each other. What is forgiveness? Forgiveness is letting the other person off the hook. It's not holding their sin against them. It's you choosing to not, it's you choosing to not walk through life backwards. And that's what we have in verses 31 and 32. And Paul is saying in verse 32, this infinitely greater forgiveness that you have experienced in Jesus Christ through his death on the cross should bring you more joy, more passion, uh, more everything than uh, the joy all of Chicago had when the Cubs won the World Series. Because this is the ultimate victory, Christ dying for your sins. So Paul says, just as in Christ, God forgave you. God wants to liberate you. God wants to give you joy. God wants to squelch your restlessness and your anger. No greater victory than that's expressed here at the end of verse 32. But you and I cannot conjure up the humility. I sure can't. Uh, uh, to live a life of repentance and forgiveness. A part of it is of repentance and forgiveness is too painful, it's too hard, it's too difficult, and frankly, our spouses are too sinful and the things they do to us are too terribly hurtful. Friends, others. So Paul says from him, this grace, this power is a gift. It comes from God. We don't conjure it up. And it becomes our possession when we move from just believing God exists, merely believing God exists, and it's just an intellectual thing, to recognizing, for example, that the flaming sword that barred Adam and Eve from the Garden of Eden after they sinned is the same flaming sword of judgment that bars you and me from the presence of God from our sin. But in the greatest act of grace in human history, that flaming sword of judgment fell on Jesus instead of us. As Jesus died for our sins. And if that gospel of grace stirs your heart, If it moves you, if it increasingly dominates your heart, then that becomes a Holy Spirit power to truthing, to be truthing and loving. And man, oh man, are you going to accelerate your marital and your relational growth curve. And that's why we say at Wheaton Bible Church, the gospel isn't just the starting line. It's the whole race. Amazing grace. Let's pray. So Father, we come to you 
And we thank you for this beautiful, simple, clear picture of the life you want us to live, the powers you want us to flesh out, and the power for those powers. We marvel that you have forgiven us in Jesus Christ. We marvel at this grace. And we praise you in the great name of your Son. Amen.